yeah, straight to it. Yeah, make the best use of our time. Yeah, so super excited to have uh, on today with us Tyler Smith. He's a pastor, NBA sports writer, a basketball coach, an author. He's also been um, in the, the Christian music industry for a long time, graduated from Lincoln Christian University, uh, and has served in ministry since 2005. And Tyler, you live in Indiana now, right, with your family. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Awesome. Man, thanks for joining us uh, and appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. How's it going? Good, good, man. Yeah, just a normal Tuesday, but um, super stoked to, to dig in today. Um, well, why not? I mean, here's a, the first thing I was wondering, you know, it's a quite the uh, the repertoire of uh, of different roles and things you have going on, going on in your life. Like, how do you manage to be involved in so many different things and projects and still have time for family and for yourself? Yeah, thankfully, I learned pretty early on, really in college, uh, how to manage my time really well, because even in college, I was a two-sport athlete. I had a weekend ministry back home, um, balancing all that with school. I was in you know, the Christian music scene, and so I really you know, just kind of figured it out at that time how to prioritize, and that's the key thing is make sure your priorities are in place. Um, I also think that all the things that I get to do, I feel like there's a, a purpose behind each one. It's not like, you know, I'm just trying to kill time or um, doing things that are fun, but really I think there's a purpose behind each one. So that helps. But if there's ever a week or two that's kind of maybe too busy, I, you know, take a step back. All the things are flexible with each other. So I make sure that, you know, family's first and I don't get too overwhelmed by anything. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel you there. I think Jeremy and I are both, both probably in that same bucket, but me especially, I'm just kind of all over the place like to have hands in multiple different cookie jars at the same time. And, um, time management is definitely a big part of that. Um, we're going to jump around to a whole bunch of different kind of parts of your life and, and topics. But, um, I think what's probably most, uh, top of mind for me and Jeremy is what well, we're both big NBA fans and, and basketball fans, ex, uh, aspiring NBA players. <laughs> and, uh, Are we so, all- <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. Um, but I mean, how did you become a NBA sports writer and what does your role look like today? Yeah, so I covered the Pacers and, uh, you know, their season just ended, but a couple different outlets. It really started actually when I moved to Florida to do youth ministry. I had a thought of, you know, these people there are not going to like the teams that I like and I've got to have an outlet, you know, to talk about them. So, I actually created a separate uh, sports Twitter feed and, and a blog page. And over the course of about three and a half years, I built up a, a nice little following of fans through that. And there's a guy that, you know, kind of discovered the work and he just got a job to cover the thunder in Oklahoma city. This was 2014. And he saw my stuff. And he's like, Hey, I don't want my site today. Would you like to take over? He, when he found out I was moving back home to Indiana. So um, I always joke that, uh, you know, Justin Bieber was discovered online and so was I. So it's like the same thing. <laughs> not quite, but you know. So tell me a little bit, like, do you get to travel with the team or like, what's your schedule look like for the coverage and how you're involved? Uh, it really varies. You know, I, I don't travel with the team, but I cover all the home games. So every home game that I'm able to go to, uh, of course, that all changed in March with COVID, but uh, you know, I get a chance to go to each game and locker room access, uh, live tweet, do an article after the game, uh, you know, do some columns in the meantime. And uh, it kind of depends too on which outlet, you know, wants a story. Um, but it's really fun. You know, it's almost like a, 
you know, growing up, um, pretending to be a, a sportscaster, sports writer, and getting a chance to do it for real is is still crazy. This was my seventh season, and I still walk into the arena, look around, think, I can't believe I get to do this. So it's pretty awesome. So Jeremy and I both know TJ Leaf. Uh, he was awesome. We've I known do. him for a long time. Uh, Jeremy, even longer than myself. But I guess we're wondering, you know, like, what's the locker room like? And do you spend your time with uh, the superstars? I assume that's kind of where the media you know, likes to spend most of your time or do you spend time getting to know some of the other guys, you know, how do you split your time between the team and, uh, seeing the locker room and kind of interacting, uh, and interacting that time? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, there's always like kind of a, a group of people around the one or two stars of the game, but you also get a chance, the guys that are not really getting interviewed to go up to him. We have a good 30, 45 minutes, um, after each game. So he's always been great uh, with media, really nice guy and Pacer locker room. There's um, at first when I was there, like the Paul George era towards the end of his era was not very good locker room. You could tell the difference. And now guys get along, they joke around. It's, it's almost like a, you know, this similar to like a middle school locker room, but you know, with different, uh, different topics of conversation, but you know, they, they love the game and yeah, TJ's a good guy. Actually they have three TJs. So a lot of TJs in Indiana. <laughs> That's right. I forgot that there were three TJs. I guess the real question is, do you have the hookups for tickets? <laughs> I wish I get asked that a lot. I, I have my one, my one media pass. I can't even take a wife or anybody to games, but sometimes she'll go get a cheap ticket and, and then I'll, you know, kind of go up there for a couple quarters. Um, tell us how you got involved in, in ministry. Uh, you know, I, I read through some of the book and I, I know some of that story, but I'm curious if you can share it with us and kind of give us a lowdown of how you ended up. And I mean, especially now, I personally, I was impressed, you know, that you've been involved so long and got involved so young because it's, it's kind of one of those things where people come in and out. And, uh, and so I, I'm curious to hear how you got involved and how you've managed to stick with it for so long as well. Yeah, it was completely a God thing that I had no, no clue whatsoever was going to happen. You know, I went to school for communications and actually didn't even go to the Christian school my first year. Um, I was at a state school and God used basketball to get me to transfer. I was missing playing and had a chance to transfer to this Christian school. And then after a year there, there was a local youth group that wanted me to start up a program. And uh, it was supposed to be a summer thing. Um, that was 15 years ago. And I've continued to do it. And I've, you know, from there, I was at that church for six years and then Florida for almost four and then back home since 2014 at my home church doing ministry. And um, yeah, it's crazy, you know, looking back when you, you see that, you know, it's not something I even had on my radar or what even considered. Um, and then all those things happened and um, definitely glad that they did. But, you know, some people, I think they know at a young age what they want to do and other people, like a lot of people, I think. Uh, as they go in life, um, they get involved in something. The key for me was actually saying yes to that opportunity to do that youth group because I could have been like, I've got no interest in that and not doing it. And then sometimes it's when you actually go out and do something that God's like, hey, actually, uh, that's what I want you to do for a long time. So here we go. And so were you on staff? Were you volunteering or um, what, what was the deal there? Uh, I've always been on staff. So that, that first, it was a, kind of just a weekend uh, ministry and then um, had a couple uh, full-time full -time gigs after that. So like you said, I mean, it, it kind of fell into your lap a little bit with, you know, this church reaching out and saying, hey, would you be interested in 
starting up this program. Um, I don't know uh, exactly, you know, like who you are and sort of your personality, but personally, if that opportunity was presented to me, I'd be like, no, like that, that sounds like a ginormous responsibility that I have no idea what to do or how to pull that off. Um, was that something that was like remotely interesting to you or I'm, I'm curious, like how and why you decided to say yes. And, uh, and, and it's a big thing to take on and I would assume it, it, it was scary at the time. Yeah, I did have some interest. I mean, I loved, um, you know, especially as I was growing in my faith more in college, I, I did want to help students out and maybe, you know, not make some of the same mistakes that I made and that kind of stuff, but not real proud of saying this, but my first thought was, Hey, I don't have to do that awful summer factory job. <laughs> and so that's, that's what I was about to do for the third straight awful summer in a row. And I was like, Hey, I don't have to do that. And I get to work with kids. So it was kind of like one of those things, but, um, I didn't feel, you know, I could mm. see how <clears throat> for some people it was a, it was a smaller church and they said, we've got, you know, 10 or 12 kids when I started out. So it wasn't like this, you know, mega church of, you know, huge, um, I guess, uh, stress or pressure, but it was more like, Hey, this could be cool. And maybe I'll get to impact these kids and don't have to do that, you know, factory job. So, uh, maybe that's why I was a little more willing with all that, you know, kind of combined in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, one of the things, um, as I kind of alluded to before, I think that can be top of mind for a lot of guys is, uh, being really kind of fixated on a goal and very kind of like, you know, you just want to get to where you want to go. Um, I don't, what, what were your like career asp aspirations at the time and how did that change? And, uh, how did you learn to think about kind of maybe focusing a little bit more on the journey rather than the goal itself or the destination? For me, it was always sports, you know, some kind of like you guys, I wanted to be in the NBA. And when that didn't work out, I was thinking sports broadcasting, sports writing, something along those lines. Uh, so I went for communications degree and I'm thankful now that I still get to do some of that stuff, obviously. But, um, you know, when that, when that all kind of changed, it was actually when I was in the process of probably a couple years into youth ministry that I was like, Hey, actually, this is not just a thing I'm going to do in college. This is a calling and something I need to do full-time and I can do other stuff on the side, but, um, I really, my college years, especially, I know a lot of people go the other way with that. They go to college and leave church. Um, but for me, it was the people I was meeting classes and professors were great, but it was the people I was talking to in the dorms, late night dorm theology talks and walking with some Christian brothers, um, that really helped me understand faith is a day-to-day -day thing. And, not even worry about, you know, what's my career going to look like or what's it going to look like even next year, but what's today and tomorrow look like and just kind of live it out. So I, I owe those people a lot. So this is a question that I often struggle with myself, but what are the, how, how do you think about sharing your faith um, mm -hmm. with the work you do as a sport, sports writer, um, with the work you do <clears throat> in the church, um, but also in all the, every other kind of facet of your life, right? I mean, um, you're also involved in a lot of the things you have the blog, you have, uh, the Twitter. So how do you think about sharing your faith and, and your faith really being a part of your work and who you, who you are and how people know you? Um, so yeah, how do you think about that? Uh, it's definitely challenging, but I'm, I, I love it. I love being able to have the church job, but I also have a couple of these other jobs that, you know, the Pacers are not a Christian organization. <laughs> 
the school I coach at is not a Christian school, but I love that. I love the chance to be salt and light. Um, it's not like I get an opportunity to, you know, share the gospel every day or anything like that in those environments, but I get little opportunities here and there, you know, and try to take advantage of those. Um, it is a challenge when you're trying to, you know, you know, there's so many different sides and beliefs among the, the Twitter timeline, the, you know, the followers that I have to try to be salt and light and find those opportunities, but also, you know, you, you just know the different beliefs and the different um, response that could happen for certain things. So try to be careful about it. Um, but, you know, for me, I'm, I'm in a place, I feel like if I was younger, you know, in my earlier life, it would have been uh, even more of a challenge to, I guess, like keep my own faith strong in some of those environments. But now um, I feel like I've kind of been through a lot and I'm ready to, uh, you know, really just be in, in any environment and um, try to be light the best that I can. So going back to some of your experience, you know, with the players, interacting with them, being a sports writer and, and being, uh, you know, in the locker room even, um, what have been some of the more interesting or impactful conversations and interactions that you've had with the players over the years? I was wondering, you know, if you can just tell us maybe a couple stories or examples of how that's gone. Yeah, a big one for me was this past November, got a chance to talk to Vince Carter on his last game in Indiana. And it wasn't just like a talk about um, like that particular game. It was like, hey, you know, in Indiana, we love our basketball. We pretended to be you growing up. Like you're just an inspiration. And so that was a cool conversation. And then a couple of years ago, I did this, uh, this challenge. I tried to raise awareness for this uh, homeless shelter in Indianapolis. And I was told one of the Pacer players uh, was a big supporter of them too. So I did this retweet contest. Every retweet, I'll you know give them 50 cents to Wheeler Mission. The goal was not just to send them a couple hundred bucks. It was to have thousands of people be able to see their Twitter handle and look them up and see what they're about. So that was definitely mission accomplished. Miles Turner, the Pacer uh, center, he retweeted it. And so I had a chance a few times to kind of talk about like, hey, that was my tweet. You know, thanks for supporting it. And we got a chance to talk about um, some of the stuff that they do, which is really cool. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. How do you, uh, I don't know, not everyone has a chance to interact with or um, work with professional players in that capacity um, or even get the chance to, you know, have kind of a regular, uh, I guess, I mean, yeah, a regular time to just chat with them or talk with them where, you know, they're, they're a little bit obligated. I would, I would assume to some degree to chit chat, share about the chant, you know, share with the fans, talk about what's going on, share their thoughts. Um, how do you approach your relationship with the players and what are your thoughts on like, uh, essentially building a friendship? Like, uh, I'm also kind of curious, like, you know, the first time, uh, do you have to introduce yourself and you come back? Do they know your name? are you building rapport with them in some way or yeah, essentially what's your relationship like with them? First couple of years, I was really just kind of in the background, you know, I didn't want to step on anybody's toes or be out of place. You know, I just kind of felt like that, that kid going into the cafeteria and like, Oh, should I stand over here? What should I do? And uh, so I would kind of be in the circles, but then have my recorder out, but I wouldn't really ask or say much. Got a little more comfortable with it now in my seventh season. And, um, really just, especially after you're, you're in there each game at home, you know, the guys start to see you and, um, they start to see maybe some of your work or, you know, you're obviously careful about what you're posting. 
um, you can still, you know, challenge some things without, you know, bashing somebody or getting personal. Um, cause I know, I know exactly how it is. I'm, uh, you guys know, uh, Nate Peterman, he was in my uh, youth group in Florida, who's now gets bashed in the NFL for, you know, interceptions and stuff. And you see the attacks on him and it's just like, come on now. It's, it's tough when you know him, but whether a player's been horrible or not, you know, you can still be respectful. And I think they, they appreciate that, you know, someone who's doing their job, but, um, hmm. can do it in a respectful way. But, um, I think every player is different. You know, there's a, maybe a few guys that I would talk to more and, um, just kind of see how their, how their life is going and, you know, try to build a little, little bit of trust, which, you know, it's similar to, uh, trying to help someone, uh, you know, in a relationship, or if you're trying to share Christ with them, you want to build that, uh, trust first, um, before just going straight to the, uh, you know, straight to the hard questions, you want to build some trust with them. And I can also imagine that there's a balance you have to do and you want to be careful not to, uh, make a fool of yourself or I don't know, ask a dumb question. You know, there's always like those, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, those clips of on, on sports center and, you know, the reporters will ask a really kind of dumb question there. The players don't respond well to it, but also everyone has their own style. Right. So, um, I guess we're wondering, like, how do you approach that and uh, in establishing the right rapport with them, but also, you know, being able to, to ask questions that, that matter? Yeah, that's why every time I ask a question, I mean, I still do a lot of listening and a lot of just uh, reporting on what they say to some of the big boys' questions. Um, but if I have one, I make sure it's specific. Uh, I've learned that athletes hate the question where you, it's not even really a question. They just say, like, talk about this and they hate that they want a specific question. They're like, what do you mean? Talk about what? Um, so some of those little tips you learn, we, there's a couple guys in the Pacers media that still do that and the guys don't like it. But um, a lot of times a guy, a couple of the guys that write for the athletic or the indie star, they go around to each guy and they, you can tell what their story is going to be that night. Cause they ask the same, it's a specific question, but they ask it to each person that night. Like, what do you think about, you know, third quarter, this or that. And you can tell their entire stories about that. Uh, me, I'm looking for more of, you know, a full team angle on different things and not really one thing at a time necessarily. So I guess that would be a little different, but I think all, all reporters have kind of their own little niche of what they're trying to accomplish. Switching gears a little bit. Um, you made some interesting points in the book about uh, sort of what a Christian life should look like and Obviously, this is a huge kind of topic, and I'm going to try to be as specific as I can. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on, like, what you think a Christian life should look like compared to maybe how a lot of Christians are living their lives today. Yeah, I think you know one of the whole points of the book is just this uh, this journey, this adventure of seeking God. And I feel like earlier in my life, I wasn't very intentional about how I was seeking God. I was more of a, which I think is especially in America, a lot of Christians are just the go to church, maybe a few times a month, maybe open my Bible once in a while. And maybe if tragedy strikes, I'll, I'll pray and, you know, seek counsel. But other than that, it's kind of, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it's not a, a works based, uh, thing where it's like, I'm trying to earn God's love, but I know he has so much more for my life. If I really seek him, if I'm aware of him on the day to day, uh, I'm also going to be a, a bigger impact on others if I'm aware of his presence and 
you know, mission for my life and what I'm supposed to do. And so, yeah, I think we got to be intentional about how we're seeking him and what works for me, like how I feel closest to God, how I hear from him may be different from how you do, but we've got to be intentional about how we find that. And I think it's just going to spill out into the, every part of our life. You know, if, growing up, I feel like Christian was one of the categories. Like if there was a pie chart of my life, it would have been like athlete and this person's, you know, boyfriend and student and Christian. They were all just little categories. Now it's like the entire pie is Christian. And then the other categories fit in because it should be my, my everything, my worldview, my DNA. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's a big, big difference from not only how a lot of Christians in America are, but how I was early, earlier on in my life until now. Yeah. I, uh, Jeremy and I both, you know, kind of the, the impetus for this podcast a little bit was us getting married and, and not to each other, obviously, but each of us getting married different times to, to our wives and, and realizing like, wow, there, I mean, there's a lot to this of what it means to be a man and to be a Christian and to actually live it out every day. And, uh, so wild at heart was one of the books, you know, that really struck both of us as kind of having this different opinion, this different perspective on what life should look like and adventure and, and risk and, uh, you know, taking kind of these, these leaps of faith of being a big part of that, that really, uh, I would say the vast majority of people, including myself, most times don't, uh, like it's not a part of our lives, right? It's not, uh, I wouldn't call my life adventurous. I wouldn't call it risky. I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't think about my life like that either. Of like, I'm, I'm looking to be adventurous, take these risks. Um, wh- what is it? Do you think that's, that's stopping people from living their lives that way? I think fear is a big thing, you know, just fear of, uh, rejection or, you know, sometimes it maybe if it's a career based, they're thinking I'm not going to make as much money doing this or I'm going to lose friends over it. Um, or a lot of times it's, I can't do it. I'm not qualified to do it. You know, I share a story. Uh, chapter four of my book of how I almost said no to a huge opportunity. And I kind of hit me that I felt a lot like Moses where Moses was like, God, I can't speak for you. And God's like, I made your mouth. (laughs) I know you can speak for me. And uh, I ended up saying yes to this opportunity and Mm. changed everything from that point on. I started to say yes to more things and really start to live that, you know, adventure. Um, So I study scripture. I see that, you know, these first Christians were, and in old Testament followers as well, but these first Christians were, relentless. Um, they just, whatever was needed, they went and did it. And it was not quite the go to church once a week and feel comfortable, you know, kind of faith. Um, yeah, it's, it's also a challenge personally for, you know, if I'm never, if I'm never putting, you know, my faith out there and making an adventure, then I'm probably not doing what all I was called to do. And, and I feel like life is short. So I really need to go after it. You know, Jesus said to believe in him, but he said, follow me a lot more. So I'm going to follow him. Then there's going to be some, some junk that goes on. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, light and darkness and, um, all the stuff going on that you got to be ready for, but it's a life we were, we were called to. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I feel like, um, something that not real, not a lot of people think about of how can I build more adventure and uh, risk taking and, taking a leap of faith into my life, you know, we kind of always default to whatever's most comfortable, what's, what's easiest. Um, we want to stick with the status quo and kind of stay in our, our little safe zone or our comfort zone. Um, 
but that's so important to, to growth, right. And to also accomplishing the mission that the Lord calls us to, um, well, how much of that do you feel like is, I don't know, American culture, uh, versus kind of like human nature. Um, you know, do, do you think that this is something that's kind of been learned or something that we could all default to if, if given the chance? I think American culture is a big part of it because we've been, even the churches that are doing well at fighting back against this, it's still a huge challenge for the congregation because we're so programmed into thinking that, you know, church is for Sunday. God is for Sunday. That's when I hear from God. That's when I do Christian things. And other than that, I've got nine to five and kids at home and all the stuff going on, not much time for anything else. And so that's uh, that's a big thing. And, and part of that too is we are largely very comfortable. Um, there's some Christians in other countries that have to rely on God for their next meal, their next breath, their next anything. And because of that, their faith is very authentic and they they really know what it means to live that adventure and that risk. And like, hey, we're relying on God for everything. Whereas, you know, in America, that's not always the case. It's very comfortable and we have all these resources and a lot of times we don't use them. And it's just kind of, uh, you know, God's sometimes an afterthought until we really need him or, you know, get really bad news or really good news or something like that. And so, yeah, I think mm. the, the American uh, culture is a big part of it, something we have to fight back against. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the other things that really struck me in the book was, uh, your thoughts on legacy and um, kind of getting to this idea of what does it look like to be a Christian and live life as a Christian? And and then ultimately, what's the result of that? And what can people look at or what can you look back on uh, in your life? Um, how you want to be remembered, what you leave, what impact you have. Uh, how do you think Christians should think about and view this idea of legacy? And, and also, how would that affect the way that we live day to day? You know, there's a question that I pose in there about, hey, where do you see yourself 100 years from now? You know, and a lot of times people talk about next year, five years. How about 100? 100 years from now, where do you see yourself? Um, sometimes that helps keep things in perspective that in 100 years, which will come pretty quickly um, for many people, even less than that. But people aren't even going to really know you even existed. I mean, like everybody on the planet right now in 115 years from now will be gone. It's a brand new group of people. So like the things that we're fighting for, striving for mm -hmm. the comparison game that we're playing, you know, how much money, how many likes, how many this or that it's like so much of it's going to be completely worthless. And what, what's really important, you know, and how many times have you ever heard of someone on their deathbed say like, I wish I would have made more money. I wish I would have, you know, been more popular in school. Mm -hmm. They don't say those things. They say things more like, I wish I would have spent more time with family. I wish I would have shared Jesus more. I wish, you know, they, they realize in those moments what's actually going to last. And so we, it's really hard, but we have to have that mindset if we're going to leave a legacy. And for some people, you know, don't make, you know, make no mistake about it. A lot of people, their legacy is like, I loved a handful of people really, really well. That's, that was my calling. I love my neighbors. You know, I'm, you may not know who I am. I may not be popular on social media or have a big job, but my legacy is left among my family and my neighbors. Um, so legacy can come in all shapes and sizes, but it should be about what's going to last and not what's going to fade in, you know, a hundred or less years. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, re I really liked that question because Jeremy and I are, are always talking about, okay, well, what's next and what's our, our plan for next year, next five years? What, what are the things we want to do? Um, like, I mean, like I said, putting it in perspective, where are you going to be in a hundred years? Well, mm -hmm. I mean, you are going to be in, in heaven. Your body is still going to be here on earth. And the reality is you're probably going to be forgotten for the most part. I mean, uh, your close family members will, will remember you. Um, every, but everyone, you know, no one can bring their wealth, their status, their, uh, their whatever up mm -hmm. to heaven. It really just matters. Um, the impact you have on other people and, uh, how you'll be remembered there. And that's like, wow, I hadn't really, I had thought about it before, but I hadn't thought about yeah. it in that way or that deeply before. Yeah. Since we, um, started the podcast, we, since 2018 together, Corey and I, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, we'll set goals. And then about halfway through, we kind of check up and like do like a mid-year review in a sense. And we do on the podcast, we kind of talk through it. And it's been really good to kind of like check progress, kind of, kind of, you know, realign and kind of course correct. And I feel like this is one of those points where like that is very similar, like thinking of where you're heading, like, what do you want your life to be? Like, what's your purpose? What's your legacy? Like, that's one of those things you got to look at every couple months, right? If not, like you get to the end of your life and like you're saying, you find out like, man, like I really missed the mark in this area. And so that's a good thing to think about. Honestly, I don't give that enough thought, but um, yeah, I do like the point you brought up. It's a big one for sure. Um, I want to talk about yep. politics and world issues for a second. Um, not to actually talk about politics and world issues, but uh, you're, unless yeah, you want to, unless you, we could entertain that. It <laughs> might not be super entertaining for, for the listeners, but um, you made some interesting points in the book. I wanted to kind of tease that and, and, put the T-ball up for you, but what's your philosophy about how Christians should engage in these kind of conversations, go about them? What role does it play in our lives? Um, how important is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very, very important how we approach anything, you know, no matter what side you're on. Um, can, we got to learn how to disagree better. We got to learn how to love people that, voted differently than me, think differently than me. Um, I've got Christian and non-Christian friends that are extreme on both sides. I always try to tell people that stop being so extreme. I mean, there's a few things I think to be extreme about. Other than that, it's like hear both sides, be patient, be gentle, as scripture says, you know, and, um, you know, if you really listen to the other side, you know, there's some things that can change in your own heart. Be careful what you post you know, follow, uh, visions 429, even when you post things, um, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. Like there's so many scripture that, that just comes to, to mind of how, what I see Christians not doing well in politics. Um, I I've never really been into politics much until maybe the last couple election cycles. And, you know, I'm into it a little bit more, but just because, um, it's more of the culture today, like even teens today are in, into politics a lot more than they used to be. But can mm. you share your thoughts in love? Can you disagree well? Um, you know, a couple, there's a lot of quotes in there I'd share from Timothy Keller or Andy Stanley, these different guys that talk about, you know, even problems in a church happen when you think about your opinion more than the person. Um, that is not the way of Jesus. And, and if you really break it down, uh, people that want to know, was he one extreme or the other? Some topics, he was very much one side. Other topics, he may have been the other side. And, you know, for us mm. to say 
he would have 100% been this or that. They try to, you know, people try to put him in a box and think he's going to bust out of a box every time we try to put him there. So, um, you know, follow your convictions and your beliefs, educate yourself, but my goodness, do it in love and learn how to disagree with people well. And, um, sharing Jesus with someone is a lot more important than sharing your political view. Yeah, man. I, I was just thinking while I was reading that, like, it's, it's such a important and valuable skill to learn how to disagree in a loving way and communicate that, that you disagree and that you, uh, care for that person, right? You, you care about them, you value their opinion and, and their beliefs. Um, because man, it's, it's really easy to, um, it, it feels like there's kind of two things that happen. You either kind of like wage war and you're just like, you're wrong. These people are crazy. Uh, let's get rid of them. I don't want anything to do with them. Or it's kind of a, a real, maybe like turn the other cheek to, um, to the extreme where you just don't do anything and you just kind of let it be. And you let this thing, uh, perpetuate, right. Which also isn't good. So you have to find a balance there between them, but both ends of the spectrum are bad, right? It's a very difficult kind of tightrope to, to balance. Yeah. I feel like I've been seeing so many like posts and people just talk about politics without any tact to it. It's just like super like blunt, straight to the point. And, and I, I'm always kind of reading these posts thinking like, dude, like where's like the mindfulness behind this? Where's like your like tactful approach of how you want to confront someone? Everyone's just so like out there and, and like straightforward. It's, um, I don't know, but I think what you're saying, like really to me, makes a lot of sense. Like, dude, have grace, like have love, like be like kind and just like smart in the way you approach someone. You know, one thing Mike Van Meter always says from our church is like when you're in an argument or you're like disagreeing with someone, like it's okay to think like, what is the result that I want from this and how can I get that? And Mike always like says that, which I think it's a funny way to look at it, but it's not bad to like, how do I get the result that I want? How can I like achieve that in a tactful way? And I think it's like a political conversation or debate, like have that mindset, you know? so many important topics out there that I would never say to someone like, you know, Hey, remain silent on stuff that you really feel is important. Same time. I would never tell someone, Hey, the world needs your opinion on everything. Like I've got some friends that every single current event, every single thing that happens, they have to share their opinion. And like, you want to know why I haven't posted on this particular topic? Cause I'm not an expert in it. Haven't even really formulated my opinion yet. I need to study it more. And then if I feel like it's necessary to talk about it, I will. But there is definitely a way to the things that you're passionate about standing up for. Hopefully it is a, you know, for a faith-based reason, but mm -hmm. you can share those things in a much better way. Um, and that's, that's the place we got to get to. Yeah. Um, want to kind of get back, uh, to the book. wanted to ask, um, kind of why you decided to write it. Um, and what were the experiences that led up to you actually sitting down and writing the book? Yeah, I had the idea about four or five years ago. At first, it was just like, hey, I've got all these years of ministry teaching experience and you know, years of writing experience. Let's kind of combine them. Um, all the different things I've been able to do in life has kind of resulted in a bunch of stories and cool things that God has you know, shown me along the way. So um, those are the kind of books I like to read the most or the you know, story-based um, kind, of, kind of books. And so I had that idea was putting it off for a while, started to compile notes. And then at the end of 2018, it's when I kind of got the nudge, like it's time, let's, let's do it. And so I 
spent 2019 um, writing it. And yeah, it was kind of uh, my, almost like my entire life, not entire life, but close to it kind of poured out where some of the stories are from recent, some are back from high school, even college, um, just kind of a culmination. Didn't have a title when I started writing, but I knew it was all, all the stuff was kind of fitting into this idea of what's it look like to search for God every day. And then once I got the title, it um, just kind of flowed from there, but hmm. had the idea, started compile notes. Um, God kind of took it from there a couple years later. Hmm. That's cool. You know, me and Corey have kind of tossed around the idea of like, it'd be fun to one day, like write a book. Um, just curious, like what was it like through the process of kind of brainstorming and putting it all together? Um, and also, you know, we've talked about like, you're a busy dude. So like, how did you manage all of that? How did you like find time to actually publish your book? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, uh, had built up a lot of vacation. Um, we get to carry over, you know, X amount of days to the next year. So I had taken probably a good three weeks at random different weeks off and did nothing but write the entire time. Other times I would write on the weekends or on flights or, you know, um, just random days. But for me, if now, if I were to ever write another one, it'd be a completely different thing. I think this one was like more of all these things in life that have kind of brought me to this point. I was able to go back through previous sermons and some of my favorite points I've ever talked about. If I were to ever like the publisher, if they were to say, Hey, I need you to do another one. I would really need a topic and, you know, know that I have a bunch of material, but like the, the authors that do this for a living, like, Oh, it's time for the next book. And they don't even have a, they don't even know what they're doing yet, but they just know that they're due for one. And they're like, Oh, huh, what should I do? Well, they do all this research and stuff and it takes them a while. I feel like that, that second one would, take a little time and be more challenging. This first one flowed fairly easily, but I think for anyone who's doing their first book, if you start thinking about it early, God's going to reveal stuff along the way. And then it could flow a lot, a lot better than if it was like a job um, where you had to, had to make one. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, we'll, we'll keep that in mind when maybe, you know, if one day if the Lord calls us to write a book, but, um, Tell us a little bit about your your family and your wife. Um, where'd you guys meet? How'd you get married? And uh, and um, I know you got you mentioned you got married a little bit later in life too, as well. So I was wondering if you could speak to that and what that was like. Yeah. So when I was in Florida, I had a serious girlfriend that thought may have you know may have resulted in marriage, and we were off and on. You know how fun that is, and uh, you know actually one of the hangups was like if I ever move away, would you, would you be okay with that? Are you stuck in this state? Like I want to be open to what God has me has for me. And that was always kind of a hang up. Well, when I got this job in Indiana, I was like, perfect. You're either going to, you know, come with or not. So, um, she ended up saying she wanted to, but so much trust had been lost. We broke up for good. And I was like, um, I can't, can't mess with this uh, relationship anymore when I get to this church, my home church, the the pastor at the time, um, had daughters and I didn't know it. <laughs> so, um, there was, you know, one of his daughters, I, I met and, uh, started hanging out and hit it off right away. And let's see, it was only, let's see about a year and a half later, got married. So my guy met the old preachers, not only a preacher's kid, but the preacher's you know, the pastor that I was uh, working on staff with as a kid. So <laughs> we have two daughters now. They're three and one. 
Okay, so just yeah. to be clear, so you married, hold on, this is the pastor and your boss, At right? the time, yeah. <laughs> nice. That's bold, man. Yep. Much respect. Yeah, I, I can only imagine um, <laughs> how scary that would be, uh, just frankly, at the, probably a lot. Um, is there anything you wish that you would have learned or, or known earlier about marriage or relationships or... Uh, I mean, just marriage in general and kind of the, the lessons you've learned now having kids and being married for quite some time. Um, that's tough. I think, you know, for me, I had so many years of being out on my own that it was, it was good in certain ways. And then other ways it was a challenge because like now, like I'm, I'm, you know, obviously with the family, I'm answering to someone for every you know, decision and, you know, um, responsible for so much more. And I can't, you know, do certain things that I would have done on my own. And so part of it is just like, how do you, how do you train and learn for like, learn about, you know, the responsibility that you're going to have, you can, you know, talk about it all you can, but like to really dig deep into here's what it's going to look like. Um, you know, it's one of those things you got to experience first uh, before, you know, you can't learn too much before, but I feel like just the, the extra patience and the, um, preparation for, um, you know, being a spiritual leader of the household and, um, what all that looked like is it's more than maybe what I thought about in my, my dating years of just like, yeah, be a good guy and support and do this. Like there's so much more to it, um, that, it, that you're kind of learning on the fly, but I think maybe a little bit more training if there is such thing beforehand (laughs) definitely yeah i mean it's 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 almost like how how can you prepare you know you just have to be what what i tell people now you know there's always the usual advice of well good good counsel and read a couple books do premarital counseling but i think honestly the, the biggest part is just having the right mindset and going into it with um with with the right attitude essentially you know maybe a little bit cliche, but like the biggest thing that's going to make a difference is just the expectations that you have coming in and what you've already decided you're going to do and how you're going to treat that person. Um, was there anything that you had to learn the hard way or, uh, or overcome, um, that really, you know, because of your marriage essentially? Uh, I think, you know, we got to do, um, a little bit of, uh, counseling, not too long ago, um, just cause we didn't get much of a, um, before marriage, we had a short engagement. It was like a little over four months, I think. Um, and so I think some of the, um, the previous family dynamics and things, which we both have wonderful Christian parents that are both still married and, um, uh, but just some of the upbringing type things that you start to realize as you talk about, like, okay, that makes a little more sense as to why I'm this way or that way. And, but some of it, it was more like, you know, arguments or things that would come up, um, maybe a little tension and some things before really understanding that, Hey, that's actually because I was brought up this way. You're brought up this way. Can we meet in the middle? Can we figure that out? So I guess that would be kind of an example of finding out a little bit harder or a little bit uh, later on. Yeah. hundred percent. Jeremy, I don't know if you've, found the same way. I, I assume it's probably the same for everyone, but, um, 
Monique and I, that's been a, I think a, a big part in, in just like acknowledging it is like, Hey, I don't think you're wrong. It's just that this is how I've always done things, or this is how we did things. And, um, you know, my family fought this way, your family fought that way, or my family, um, had this kind of standard of, uh, cleanliness or that's, you know, simple things like that, right. Where it's, you, you don't realize all the things that come into how you live and how you treat other people because of all the influence of how you were brought up. Um, and so speaking of, of upbringing, um, I mean, what was your life like growing up? I and mean, tell us about, uh, Tyler as a kid and what you were like and, um, and how you grew up. Yeah. So small town, Indiana, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of sports going on. That was my passion and what I wanted to do with all my time. Um, I like to be at home and, you know, either play sports video games or watch them or play them in the backyard. And that was pretty much it. That's what I wanted to do. Um, great Christian parents and an older uh, sister, uh, great influence as well. Uh, a couple kids on my street that I would get to hang out with on a daily basis. And yeah, it was really uh, the, the small town life and, um, you know, some of the cliche, what people may think about Indiana was true in my case, you know, always have a basketball goal and, um, you know, had cold winters and didn't like that very much, but uh, we'd go to church and, you know, sometimes I'd try to avoid it, which is interesting, you know, working with students now and be like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta come to church and youth group. And if they would only know that, <laughs> that I was the kid who was trying to get out of going to those things. Um, yeah, it kind of helps me say, I get it. I know where you're coming from, but I missed out on a lot. Don't want you to miss out on this kind of stuff. So yeah, pretty, uh, pretty normal, normal life growing up for the most part. Was there like a defining moment of um, like when and how you came to know the Lord? Yeah, I think there was a few, but the biggest one, uh, when I was 14, went to this conference and uh, also saw um, there's like a traveling play that was put on for Christians. And I remember it just being a very impactful night. And so that's when I kind of made a decision to, to, give my life to Christ from there. Like most people, especially teenagers, a lot of ups and downs. Um, and then it was really, you know, in college, um, the people I met, the experiences I went through started to figure out a little bit more cause I still don't have it all figured out, but started to figure out more about the, the day to day, uh, faith. Um, so there was no like traumatic events or things of that nature, but it was more just, uh, you know, a couple key moments where I felt God's presence and, um, then people that he put in my life that, uh, made my faith take off in a good way. Gotcha. Um, well, I think we'll begin, we're getting near the end of our list of questions. Sorry, there's so many. Um, but looking forward, what are some of your long-term Sorry. goals? Um, when you think about the future, kind of where do you see yourself in the next five, 10, and even, even 15 years down the road or a hundred or a hundred hundred. Yeah. Um, you know, I try, I feel like I, there's different categories of goals in my life. For example, my wife and I always make, you know, whatever year it is, we make goals. Like we had 20, 20 goals together in 2020. Um, some of it's lighthearted, fun stuff. And some of it's kind of deeper, you know, spiritual stuff. So it's almost like on a year to year basis, I have certain goals I want to meet. I think of my career like a year at a time, just like, all right, I'm, it's kind of like I've, I'm signed on to another year contract. Like I'm going to see what next year brings, but I'm going to go for it for another year. Um, some of the 
bigger aspirations that, you know, maybe in the future, um, could see myself eventually doing another book. Um, would love to stick with the Pacers, you know, for as long as I can and, um, may impact where I live obviously, but, uh, could see myself doing a few different things in the ministry world, like sports minister, or I could see myself doing, um, right now I do youth pastor and a coach at a, at a different school, but I could see myself going to a Christian school and doing the teacher coach thing possibly. Um, so like these, these somewhat ideas, you know, I love what I'm doing right now. Probably will stick with it for a little bit of time here, but, um, those are some possibilities, uh, really try to just seek what God wants and, you know, having two little girls growing up and as, as they get older and some of those dynamics change, you know, other decisions come into play, but, um, I would really encourage people to write down short-term and long-term goals and figure out how can I, um, how can I reach those, you know, make them challenging, but realistic as well and find people to, you know, be accountable with it and really go after it. So kind of a different categories for me, but I like the ones that are a year at a time where I can really try to focus on meeting those. That's cool. Um, okay. The next two questions are some of my two favorite ones we ask just about every guest. Um, they're hard though. I'm going to warn you. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm kind of curious to ask, but how have you grown or changed personally? And is there anything that recently the Lord has been uh, speaking to you about? Yeah, I think with the whole pandemic and everything going on, you know, I, I've been very blessed and lucky that people around me, I haven't really seen too much of the, um, you know, the, the bad side of, of what a lot of people have dealt with. So maybe it's easier for me to say than others, but I have seen a lot of good come from, from all of this. And I feel like I was always a patient person and, you know, live day by day kind of person. But now it's like even more, it's like it, it advanced that even more because when all this first started, like you couldn't make plans for two days from now. Like you have no idea all of these plans in the future, like these youth group trips and the vacations and you know, going to Cubs games and all this, like, I can't make any of those plans. I have no idea. So I got to live for right now, live for today. So I feel like I've been able to do better with that. I've also feel like it's kind of flown into my ministry as well, being able to help people with like, Hey, we're not in control and you don't know what tomorrow holds. So right now, what's God want you to do today? It's kind of helped that because we've all uh, been going through that process. So I'd say that's the biggest thing of of what's going on of late. And um, kind of along those same lines, um, is there anything that recently you have just kind of seen differently or changed your mind about um, maybe something that you once like thought of or saw kind of in, in a certain light and now it's just changed? Yeah, honestly, a little bit of the political scene, um, you know, certain things, which is really hard, no matter what you say in some of these topics, people will, people will disagree with it. Um, but there's also like, you can't tell the full story. So like just answering, you know, question here, you're not going to get the full story from all my beliefs on it or anything. But I even told the youth group this, that 2014, when people started saying black lives matter, I was one of those people saying, well, all lives matter. What do you mean? You know, and now, and I'm not supporting the rioting and that kind of stuff. Um, maybe the, 
I don't know the, the, the saying and the movement to a lot of people are two different things, but to be able to listen, part of it was some of the people I greatly, greatly respect, whether it be like Lecrae or propaganda or athletes like Jason Hayward, George Hill, these people that I really respect and they're good faith-based people, them sharing some of the things that they've dealt with, it's kind of eye-opening and it's like, man, I've always wanted to listen and now I feel like I'm I'm listening to um, all sides and I want to be able to, you know, show um, compassion and listen to people. So that's one of those topics that, again, can't really, you know, know the full story, but it's um, something that I've kind of changed my my uh, terminology and um, my thinking, my thought process towards it. Hmm. Yeah. Appreciate you sharing that. Uh, we're right there with you, but it's a really great thought. And, and uh, again, appreciate you sharing, but um, if you can go back and have a kind of heart to heart with 18 year old Tyler, you know, what about what it means to be a man or to give him ad- advice, uh, what would you tell them if you can k- kind of summarize, like if just be one thing and a one main point, what would you sit down and, and tell your 18 year old self? Just one thing is tough. I wrote a blog about five things, but if I could pick one, it would be like, <laughs> um, I would say, Tyler, you're really not that special. <laughs> no, I'd say like, you know, what's hard is working with youth, working with youth. I've told people that one of the biggest challenges is you want to show them and tell them that they are unbelievably loved by God, but that life is not about them. And that's a challenge because when you're like, you're loved, God loves you. You can also be like, Oh, I'm awesome. Like God, you know, so that's, that's a challenge. But I would tell, you know, my younger self that, you know, what all these things that you're going to do in life, it's not about, you know, your accomplishments, you're not defined by your accomplishments or your failures, you know, live for Christ, um, start reaching people now because you're going to regret it later on all these years that kind of went by um, without being able to do that. So maybe that, that little humble approach of, Hey, you're not all that um, God is let's uh, make sure we get our priorities in place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred um, percent. What about favorite books? Do you have any that you, um, like to talk about gift to other people recommend, or even just ones that are personally re- have been really impactful f- to you. I love all the, the Bob Goff books. Um, so he just came out with his third book. So he's got love does everybody always dream big, love his writing style. That's what I was kind of trying to go for in mine. Uh, I haven't read all of them, but I love a lot of Irwin McManus books, which speaking of that whole journey thing, uh, like the Barbarian Way, and the one he wrote his second to last book called The Last Arrow, about like making sure you're, the end of your life your quiver is empty. You've let it all all out there in your faith. Um, those are those are big. You know, from a apologetic side, I love like Frank Turk's I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist kind of book, and um, those are ones that that I just they make you think and they they tell stories and um, just love sharing those. Was there anyone that you look up to? A lot of people, but you know, I uh, really, <clears throat> it's like, I kind of know this guy personally and kind of not, but uh, John Foreman, lead singer, switchfoot. Uh, 
had a chance. I mean, I've, I've hung out with him before he knows who I am, but it's not like we're, you know, close friends or anything, but, um, just not only are they my favorite band, but like, he's just an incredible human and the things he does for charity. He's a writer. So he writes articles for the Huffington post blogs, you know, solo work, you know, it's just the whole package. You know, we had a show with him. This was way back, like 2006 or something like that. And there was a, an arena, 4,000 people, Reliant K, Switchfoot, big show. He comes in there at nine o'clock in the morning and starts going around asking people if he can get them anything. I was just like, what? Like we have this arena of 4,000 people out here is for you tonight. It's going to be sold out. And you're asking me, hey, can I get you anything? I mean, it's just incredible, the person that he is. See, I, I started a, a blog or I started a Twitter feed called Daily John Foreman. The reason was I was trying to find like somebody that did, you know, his quotes and his lyrics, but there was only like a couple Switchfoot lyric ones and that's all they shared. Like this guy to me is like a modern day C.S. Lewis type person. So he needs like, he deserves to have these quotes out there. So, you know, maybe stalking a little bit, but it's more just a, a fandom and, you know, being a per- personal hero of mine. That's cool. Yeah. I love John Foreman. It's funny. You've mentioned two fellow San Diegans, Bob Goff and John Foreman. Maybe it's a sign we need to get them both on the yeah. podcast. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah. wrapping up here, one more question for you. Um, if you could say one thing to the next generation of Christian men, you know, what would it be if you could put it on a billboard or stamp it somewhere or just run a Twitter feed with that same thing running over and over again, what would you say? Yeah. May sound simple, but I would say, never forget God is for you. Um, Christians and churches have been, you know, very famous for what we're against, what we oppose. God is for you, not against you. And he loves you and um, he is worth pursuing. So I know that's probably like a bunch of things in one, but um, that's just a, it changes everything when you have that mindset that even though I messed up, God is for me. You know, even though I did something uh, that I think is, is good, but, um, you know, I try to compare myself to others and the good things they've done. Like, how's God look at that? You know, speaking of Bob Goff, he says, you know, God never compares what he creates, but God is for you. He loves you. Went to a cross to, to show his love. And I want to, you know, live my life in return of that, that love and him being for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Tyler, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for sharing everything. You've had a, a fascinating life and I'm, I'm super glad we were able to take the time to just kind of pick your brain and get to know who you are and hear your stories. Um, if people want to learn more about you, follow along, what are the ble- best places uh, for them to go? And we'll link them all in the show notes as well. Uh, the best place is probably the book's website because obviously you get the book there, but even if you don't want to get the book, there's ways to connect me in other ways social media, my blog, um, there's a contact form where you can email. Um, but yeah, searching for seven.com is the website. Thanks guys.
Awesome, man. Thanks so much again. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, if you have any questions for Tyler, feel free to uh, tweet at him or you can email him. Um, but also, I just want to say, you know, if you, if you, if you guys can, as, a, as a listeners, tell Tyler, thanks for coming on and sharing everything. Um, and otherwise, we will see you in the next one.